Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Spotlight Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Century 21 sales representatives in Canada, where we discuss the hot topics and important news in the real estate industry. So I'm your host, Linus Killius, and with me as always is Aaron Richardson. Hello. Aaron is a broker and general manager with Century 21 Heritage Group, and Aaron has an extensive background in online marketing, technology, and customer service. And I'm the head of business development at the real estate marketing company, Homania. So today's show, we're going to be covering a great article that was put out recently by McLean's, which looks into the concerns related to foreign ownership in Canada, specifically the Vancouver and Toronto markets. And we're going to extend that segment into a discussion on the market in general, interest rates, and what we can expect in the future. And with that in mind, no one is better to talk about this than our guest today, Bryn Jones. He's a mortgage broker with Centum Mortgage Professionals. Bryn, welcome to the show. And how about you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Linus. I've been in the mortgage business now for 35 years and um, seen a lot of clients over that time frame, seen a lot of changes in the marketplace, specifically in the last five years or so. And it's harder than ever to get a mortgage in this environment, especially with the lofty valuations and the tightening of lender policies over the last uh, little while. So we can probably get into a bit of that as we're going today. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, you're, you're a great person to talk about these topics. So um, so one other thing, Brent, I also heard that you have a history in broadcasting as well. Is that correct? Did I hear that correctly? I was in radio many, many years <laughs> at the university level. Yes. So little do you know I was going to bring that up. So you can maybe teach me and Aaron a thing or two because we're kind of new ha hats at this. So I think Led Zeppelin was involved, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so we're expecting you to carry the show today, I guess. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I guess we can just jump right into it. So the, the article that I mentioned that we're going to be covering today, the McLean's article, it's titled China is Buying Canada Inside the New Real Estate Frenzy. This was put out on May the 9th. And just to kind of summarize the article, what's it, what it's about, and I'm going to put a link in our show notes so you can read it on your own on your own time if you'd like to, um, but it's just about the concerns of foreign investment in Canada, specifically Toronto and Vancouver, and how it's inflating the housing prices, which I'm sure most of our, our, our viewers are well aware of being real estate agents, um, but the, how that can project out into the future, specifically what happens if this foreign investment stops flowing in uh, and what we can do in the future. And then also, it also um, has a significant impact on people trying to enter the marketplace as well. Uh, people knew, as Brent mentioned earlier too, you get those new home buyers, they're just finding it difficult not only to find lending, but also to get into the marketplace just because home prices, especially in those two marketplaces, are extremely high. So um, after reviewing the article, Aaron, do you have any thoughts on this? I think it was a great article. Actually, I hadn't uh, read anything that really went into what I've been sort of saying over the last five years uh, when people ask me what's pushing the market up because um, everybody talks interest rates. And of course, Brent, will give us an idea um, about that. But I was, you know, when it comes to just investing in Canada, um, uh, immigration policies, um, what I've seen from a real estate perspective, um, and they've hit the a nail on the head. I mean, and, and they've, they've gone into China. A lot of the article had to do with China. Um, so they're focusing on uh, that aspect because I think it's affecting Vancouver quite a bit. Same with uh, Toronto. But um, we're not we're, we're seeing it not just with China, but with other countries as well. So I thought it was a really good article. Yeah. Uh, again, they focused mainly on China, but like Aaron said, this is just foreign investment in general. Um, in a lot of cases, just uh, from the article itself, especially talking about mainland China, just the political situation there, as well as the, the their uh, their their dollar value there is is a little bit less stable than ours. Uh, Western investment is always seen as a very positive, more stable thing to do. So we do have a lot of this investment flooding in, and uh, what 
a lot of people are concerned is, is it's it's uh, artificially inflating the housing prices. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, too. Like, we're getting all this money coming into the country, but obviously the the house inflate the, the prices of housing going up is, is a concern. But what I think they brought up as a really valid concern is is what will happen if, if this foreign investment ever stops. Right. Uh, one particular reason, too, uh, one interesting thing that really caught me is that uh, real estate really is – helping Canada's economy grow and sustain the economy. I think it was 4% of the the gross domestic product right now. And if you extend that into uh, like, you know, lawyers, accounts, home renovations and everything else, it gets up to 20%. Um, so I thought that was quite a staggering number. Of, like that's a substantial portion of our economy. So if, we, if, if this kind of housing boom slows down, is that going to have a serious negative impact on our economy is, is a big concern, I guess. So, so Bryn, do you have any thoughts on uh, this article at all? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> The banks are still lending on new immigrants when they come to Canada, even if they have no income and no credit, which uh, anybody that lives here has to have that kind of uh, solid background in credit and income. Um, they'll lend up to 65% in on, on those uh, new immigrants. But um, yeah, certainly the house prices in Toronto as well. We see it's a constant uh, battle going up. One of the things that we face is that the appraisals tend to come in lower when people are financing because everything is on a one-way upward uh, trend but the appraisals are based on uh, sales history and on previous sales so they tend to be lower and tends to lower the appraisals for financing purposes but certainly the uh, the lack of inventory in the market uh, I'm not all that familiar with the Vancouver market but certainly in this market the lack of inventory is really you know, driven a lot more buyers to a lot less properties. And so you see that multiple offer scenario playing out time after time after time. So for for buyers who are going into that scenario and they want to go in on a multiple offer, generally they have to go firm on their agreement um, with no conditions. And that's that can be a little risky if you don't have resources to back you up in the event that uh, you know, you wind up paying a lot more money than what the bank thinks it's worth or the appraisers think it's worth. So that's that's been a big impact, certainly, in the Toronto market. So, And we do see a lot of... Go ahead, sorry. No, I had a question on the appraisal end of things. Um, so in the past, um, when we sold a house as a real estate agent, um, the person had to get approved for the mortgage. And, and uh, obviously now with going multiple offers and everything, they're getting pre-approved, but the home's not approved, correct? Right. Right. They, so they have to do an appraisal to approve it. Right. Okay. In the past, I'd have an appraiser come by the house and say, "So, what did you would you end up selling for?" Oh, I sold for five eighty. Okay. Well, then he writes down five eighty, and that's what the appraisal comes back at. Are you saying that that doesn't happen as much anymore? What was the percentage of that happening? Well, I don't really know the percentage, but what the process is that the appraiser will go look at the subject property and what you know area it's in. Uh, do measure the uh, size of the property and take a look around, but then compare the valuation to other sold properties that are like in the area, right? right? So it's not just a matter of going and looking at a property and saying, oh, it's worth 580. They want to make sure that other like properties in that area have sold for the same or, or similar price range, right? Yeah. So um, it is happening on a lot more on multiple offer situations than it is on one-offs. So they'll know that it was a multiple offer scenario going in as an appraiser? No. No, they wouldn't know either. Okay. They don't know that. They, they yeah. just see the agreement of purchase and sale. Okay. So they're, they're actually comparing the data blind, which is good. 
Yeah, what well, should be, right? But yeah, it has to be non-arm's length, right? Yeah. But uh, so that that's one of the side effects of uh, of the market right now with the lofty prices and uh, you know the lack of inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess with like you said, with the uptick of uh, just the pricing of houses increasing so quickly, too, it becomes more difficult to base an appraisal, I guess, on the historical data because you know you're you're quickly outdating yourself if, if the market's not more stable, right? With the, in terms of the pricing. Oh, some things are going for three hundred thousand more than the last sale. So how do you how do you appraise that out unless you have a lot of money down, right? Yeah, for sure. And I guess as as a bank, too, you you probably want to be on the more conservative side. I mean, I'm just to make sure that if, if there is any sort of correction, you can kind of, um, you know, be covered there as well. So, so Bryn, you mentioned that uh, banks or, or lenders are starting to tighten up the, their lending policies a little bit. Um, is this indirect response to a lot of kind of influx of, of foreign investment? Or is it just the fact that there, there's a little bit of concern that there's a bubble in general uh, that's brewing here or maybe some other reason? Yeah, it's not really um, as a result of the current market scenario as much as it started after the 0708 issues that happened in, in the US and um, the insurers uh, particularly CMHC were the first to um, take steps to uh, be more conservative about their lending practices so for example if you have a high ratio mortgage where somebody's putting down less than 20 percent and it has to be an insured mortgage you now have to qualify on a 25-year amortization, uh, which means the payment's a little higher than a 30 or a 35-year amortization. So back in, you know, 10 years ago, we had 30, 35, 40-year amortizations for a while. So it was hard not to qualify. Yeah. So they're trying to make sure that they've got, you know, two things, that the client can qualify at a higher number on the payment, A, and B, that they're paying the principal down as well at a, at a higher rate. So they're creating more equity with their payment. Um, they've also limited, for example, the, the there's a cap on the purchase price for high ratio mortgages at a million dollars. Recently, they've moved to 5% down payment only being applicable up to $500,000 and over $500,000 is 10%, whatever that amount is. Um, they've uh, certainly tightened up at the lender area on income verifications, uh, even with our alternative lenders. Uh, if you're self-employed now, it's a very difficult thing to get that done through a major bank. Um, credit issues, if people have anything that's even one minor blip, uh, a lot of the uh, major lenders will not entertain that uh, as an approval now. So it has since 0708 really changed. So quite a what I was just going to say, one of the things that I think upset some people, um, and um, Linus brought it up, was the fact that people um, that are, let's say, foreign investors uh, or anybody from outside of Canada uh, actually get um, treated um, a little better than our own, let's say, Canadian-born um, residents. And Talk about that. Why? Why? Yeah, why it doesn't seem to make any sense to me either, so yeah. it's confusing. That's a tough one, but... They have to have minimum a 35% down. Okay, so have more money. Right. So okay. there's there's two different programs. There's there's programs for people that are landed, yeah, uh, which is a newcomer program, and there's a program for people that are non-resident, non-landed, non-Canadian purchasers, and they both are basically the same. 35% down. Some of the lenders do like to keep one year's worth of payments, 
in the bank here on top of that, just for safety. But they're figuring that at that level, there's enough equity in the property that if there's an issue, then they're not going to be too concerned about it. So, but if you're here, uh, you have to qualify if you have a job or if you're self-employed. So yeah, it, it, there, but if there I'm is, here, if I'm here and I have the 35% down and I don't have an income or a job, can I get approved? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> so it's still, it doesn't still make sense to me. So some form of income, you still have to show, um, you know, there is a lender at 50%, uh, who is an equity lender, who is a major bank. Um, who will give you 50% of the value of the property with, with some limitations based on no provable income where the ratios don't work. But no, you, you would still generally have to qualify here as a Canadian citizen. It, it might be by design too. Um, I'm not sure who, who sets these policies and such, but getting foreign in investment into the country is generally a good thing for the economy. So um, lowering those barriers for foreign investment, I mean, it could end up kicking in the butt in the end if it kind of get, runs that runs away with um like it might be right now um but that being said it, it is a large portion of the economy and this this driving force in the price is really helping out like the the home renovation market and like and, and obviously the real estate market in general so yeah, yeah for sure. I, I mean we're we're seeing a lot of people as well put money into the purchases and renovate right away when they move in um and there are programs for that but um, I'm seeing a lot of people buying properties. There's a lot of flipping still going on here. And I don't know if you're seeing that at your end. Well, it's interesting that flipping's turned into flipping before the sale closes. <laughs> it's assignments and they're buying properties. And before it even closes, it's gone up 10, 15%. So um, they're making a, a profit and reselling the contract without having to pay land transfer tax or anything. Um, and that was popular. There's an article that uh, that was out in Vancouver about that happening, and then it started happening in Toronto as well. And that happens when prices go up so quickly within a four four month period, and uh, and you start to profit on that. So that's starting to be popular. You don't have to lift a finger, right? And you're making the same profit. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, anyone's gonna jump on any opportunity to make money that they can, right? Especially in that kind of situation. If you have, there's no extra land transfer tax you got to pay, for instance, or if you don't have to do a secondary sale um, and have to pay, I guess, uh, commission twice on a property, right? So, so can I ask a concern? The concern in the um, in the article, and Linus, I don't know if you remember this part in the article, it had to do with um, the foreign investors purchasing properties and then not moving into them. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people were, were deciding to park money in Canada, like, like I mentioned kind of at the top of the show, um, because of the instability of the economy, especially with, with, uh, with China in particular, uh, like they, they've kind of like slowed their, their rapid crazy growth they've had over the past decade or so, and their, their dollars instability, they're, they're looking for places to put their money that is more stable. And uh, the article actually mentioned out of the hands of the government too, because if you have money in a bank account, I guess in China, they're saying, well, my name's in the bank account, but the government can take it anytime I want. I don't know what the practicality of that is, um, but you know, they put in a Canadian bank and it seem or, or Canadian real estate, and it seemed as a more stable investment. And not to mention, you've got these like year over year growth numbers. It's kind oh, of hard to, hard to hard to argue that that's a good investment as well. And at the end of the day, you've got a piece of property, right? Whereas um, if you if you have it in a bank where you've got an unstable currency potentially, uh, that could be an issue going forward. So a lot of it sounds like a lot of people were or are uh, putting money into these units, and they don't even 
necessarily care if they're they're being rented out. They just need a place to to put their money, and that seems to be kind of a growing concern. It seems like it's more of a concern in Vancouver than it is in Toronto. Um, maybe that's because of proximity uh, to the West Coast and, and mainland China, and it's always historically been a very popular spot for foreign foreign investment from China in particular. Um, but again, it seems like Toronto is slowly starting to mirror what's happening in Vancouver. Like we've we've always heard about the you know the obscene uh, pricing. Uh, of Vancouver housing and Toronto's has always been high, but it's never been to the same kind of rate until I'd say more recently. Now it's starting to like almost catch up, but maybe that's what we're seeing now too. Cause uh, it seems like Vancouver and Toronto are like the two hot spots for, for foreign investment right now. So that's right. Yeah, um, well, for sure. I think, so, go ahead. So what can be done, I guess too, like I, the, the other problem with this, this whole article and they, they touch on it too, is we're not even sure how much foreign investments in the country there's what how do you classify a foreign investor like how do you know if it's um someone who's like uh it's foreign investment in the country or someone who's like living here uh that's just like a land like there's no real way that they're tracking it accurately too so we can't even tell like there's the 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 estimates very wildly it seems from you know like the the low percentage numbers to like you know up to like 20 30 percent sales going through uh, foreign investment transactions it's it's so hard to judge that it's kind of hard to get a good accurate um representation of what's going on too and and everyone's looking for the reason for the prices going up and this is an easy thing to point to so i guess it's it's getting a lot of attention but it almost might be kind of like fear-mongering a little bit but i mean it might be a valid concern but it's hard hard to tell when you can't accurately tell uh the statistical analysis of what's going on too um but anyways what i'm wondering about is uh well a couple things but how the bank might the, the Bank of Canada might adjust interest rates, for instance, to try and curtail this. Like they, they've got such a, a job on their hands too, with, intre- with the with the prime rate too. Because do you like you, you want to stimulate the economy, but and we also want to kind of curtail this this big giant leap in in uh, the valuation of homes, right? And this kind of like, you want to stifle the hot home market a little bit too. So it, it's tough because those are almost like conflicting ideas. So I, I'd be interested to hear Bryn's take on what kind of the future is because I, I remember constantly hearing, oh, like, you know, interest rates are slowly going up, slowly going to go up, but they really haven't, right? So what, what what's going to be happening to try and stifle this market, but still keep the economy going uh, at a rate that the, the government wants it to? Well, I don't see rates doing really very much for quite a while. I mean, um, they're talking about the Bank of Canada maybe lowering by another quarter. We're, they're at uh, 0.5 right now on their, their prime. The bank prime is at 2.7. So that's their margin over the prime from the Bank of Canada. But the economy, I mean, inflation is very low. Um, There's no real reason to raise rates. I think what everybody's waiting for is the U.S. to see what happens in the U.S. Because we are in a depressed uh, commodity market here, particularly in the oil and gas business. Look what's happening in Alberta right now. Um, And... And the U.S. dollars is what everything's traded in. So if the U.S. dollar uh, goes up against the Canadian dollar, if they raise their rates, then that could even depress our commodity market even a little bit. So we'll see whether or not that happens first. But I don't think the Bank of Canada are going to move. Um, they have to adjust for the whole country despite the Vancouver and Toronto markets. So um we're very we're very bullish my uh, people that i know in the business are very bullish about the fact that rates are going to stay where they are maybe go a little lower we'll see yeah well you can't increase them too fast too without 
getting into a bit of a crisis uh, when people are renewing their mortgages as well, or anyone who is on a variable mortgage to not being able to own their home, uh, afford their payments. So I, I, I never would expect anything to move fast. That's for sure. Um, but well, you did think about how many people are carrying very large mortgages at low rates and what impact it would have, even if it went up a half yeah. or 1%. I mean, it could cause some serious delinquency out there. Um, and, you know, maybe the, the valuations would, would be impacted uh, on the properties. So, you know. Yeah. You know. And especially how many people are probably carrying massive mortgages that they probably are on the borderline of affordability too. I guess that's the real issue is that you, you haven't, you buy a home, you don't necessarily account for the fact that your payments might increase substantially with a small increase in mortgage rates. Uh, but one thing you did bring up too, Bryn, is, is the Canadian dollar being so much lower than the American dollar currently um, is another reason that you get a lot of foreign investment in Canada. It's, it seemed like almost like you get a discount for, for buying yep. power here. Uh, so that's obviously another consideration too. And, and like you said, like maybe if, if our dollar goes back up to par with uh, the American dollar, then that might stifle this whole rapid growth in, in, in a kind of an organic fashion. So you don't have to worry about taking any measures to, to stop it. So you look at, you actually look at the, um, the numbers that they were saying, the, the Chinese get a 25 to 30% discount uh, when they're purchasing homes. Their economy is in the downward scale in terms of values. Ours is going up almost 20% in a year. So why? And our immigration policies as well as our lending policies are so liberal that uh, come take, you know, we'll take your money. We'll take your money. Don't go anywhere else. Come here. And uh, it's like a perfect storm uh, for this uh, investment. It's, yeah, it's really affected things. Yeah. It's hard. Like you've got a lot of boomers who are sitting there going, if I sell my property at this level, I'm going to get some good money out of it. But then where do I go? Hmm. What do I buy? Right. Because now I got to buy high. So I think you're seeing a lot of pent up listing, <laughs> just waiting for something to happen. And then the market may balance itself out again fairly quickly. I, ex I expected to see some, um, a lot of stuff hit the market, and which it hasn't yet, um, but it surprises me. Um, a lot of inventory hit the market from um, retirees, people that are going to now cash out. Because listen, we haven't made any money yet. Like my house has gone up to two, three hundred thousand dollars in the last couple of years. I didn't make that money. That money's no. not mine yet, right? Not until you sell it. Right. But you still got left somewhere too, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, why haven't, why haven't, um, a lot of the, uh, retirees cashed out this year? Well, it, to me, it almost seems like it might be that kind of gambler's mentality. When you go to the casino, you're, you're making money, you're making money. You're like, well, maybe if I just wait a little bit longer, I'll make a little bit more, you know? Um, so that might be part of it. I mean, I, I'm not pretending that I know the reason, um, but I, I, as someone like I, my mother-in-law is actually deciding on this decision right now herself, and she's looking at me like, well, like if if I just wait another year or two, if if my land values go up another like twenty percent in that time, that's a significant amount that she can add to her, her retirement, right? So that's the answer. That you you hit the nail on the head. That's the answer. People are holding on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and you know what's going to happen? The first <laughs> the first sign of struggle. People are going to unload, and that's when the that's listen. I I'm not gonna. I hate the doom and gloom thing, okay. And I don't think, I didn't think before we're at, we're heading towards a bubble. But the only I believe the only way the bubble's going to happen is if some sort of immigration policy changes, and they we start shutting the doors. Then the the Chinese are going to say, okay, we've hit the top, and they're going to sell, and they're going to cash out, and so is everybody else, and then nobody can sell. 
Well, that's always the concern is the massive sell-off. So just whatever the perfect storm would be to, to cause that is hopefully something we can avoid. Um, yeah. But I, I imagine it'll be something a little bit slower, at least we, we'd hope. Hope so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, that, that, that would probably concern me the most if people are holding on, uh, kind of waiting for the peak. And then if everyone identifies that peak at the same time, that's where you really gets into a problem. So let's Absolutely finger, fingers right. crossed we avoid that. Um, li- luckily I don't live in, well, I mean, I guess unluckily I don't live in Toronto. I haven't seen my housing prices go up like, uh, like in the Toronto or Vancouver markets, but, um, I guess the, the, the less concern about volatility is always nice too. And I, I that's so something. One of the things that uh, people think is that it'll never go down. It's so funny to listen and oh. hear people say, you know, this market's going to go forever. And people are coming in, they're trying to buy and buy and buy higher and higher and higher. But unlike you two gentlemen, I was around in 89. <laughs> and we had the original uh, Toronto real estate crash. And it was one third overnight. So 600 was 400, 900 was 600. It just, and a lot of, uh, Mortgage lenders took a complete powder at that time. So, you know, it, it can happen, but let's hope it's a soft landing. And I think it will be. I think rates are so low. There's no perfect storm brewing like there was in, in that era. Um, you had giant unemployment. You had uh, huge inflation. You had a war, the first war in the Middle East going, and uh, people were losing confidence. So I, I don't see that, right? There's a lot of confidence in this market. And but Brent, did they closed the doors on immigration at the same time. Uh, when that happened back then, they, 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 they changed immigration policies back in 90, uh, was it 91 or 92 or something like that. Um, and that, that, that changed the whole market. That, not just that, the interest rates. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, another thing uh, a correction might do too is, is just also it might have this kind of sell-off impact but if you've already purchased a home and you can afford your mortgage you can can kind of ride things out too it's not like uh you've you've necessarily lost that money until you make the sale kind of like like aaron was saying like your house price has gone up but you haven't seen a dime of that because you haven't sold your house yet right and if you do sell your house you got to move into another house so the other thing too is like you could sell sell your house which is valued at less but then you can purchase a house you know approximately the same value right Uh, i guess the only concern would be if you're if you're trying to like you know uh sell your house to exit the market for or downsize for a mortgage or sorry for a retirement situation you know affordability is still very very high yeah like when you're talking two percent rates i mean people you know my age i had to say my age but people that were were there in the 80s that saw you know in 80 81 18 20 22 percent imagine you know imagine so when you're talking two to three percent wow you know the affordability is is definitely still there and uh even though there are caps on what you can afford these days based on qualifying, um, a lot of the payments I'm seeing on, you know, four or $500,000 mortgages are very, very good. So, so there is affordability for sure. Yeah. And the tightening of lending policy too probably helps us out quite a bit because like if, as long as you're not getting to that situation where you've got tiny, tiny, you know, uh, down payments and the situation where people are, are borrowing uh really close to that kind of affordability where they've, they've had to renegotiate their mortgage, they get into those issues. Um, that probably won't be a problem here. Like if, if most homes have, you know, like a larger percent down payment. And like you said, like the interest rates probably aren't going to be going anywhere anytime soon, especially if there's any sort of correction. Um, as, long, as long as that affordability isn't impacted too much, then I, I imagine we'll probably get through it just fine. Um, so just uh, moving on to our next segment, so we don't take up the whole day here for everybody. Sure. Um, one, one thing I always thought 
was kind of an interesting thing. And it's just, I've come across the articles in the past year or so is uh, one, one thing I always thought is, okay, well, the, the prime rate, it can only go so low. You can only hit zero, but turns out you can actually go negative. And I always thought it was an interesting way to look at things and it's been tested out in practice and practice in different countries. Um, so I know Bryn knows a little bit about that. So I was hoping you might explain to us what kind of situation you go into a negative prime and how that would affect lending because it seems like such an odd, uh, an odd circumstance to get yourself into. Well, it's first of all, um, the people that I know in the industry will tell you that would be like a last ditch effort for stimulus and that they would really not want to do it unless. Oh, yeah. Just just to be clear, I don't expect this necessarily to ever happen in Canada. It was just more just an interesting topic. Oh, they've been talking about it. I mean, it's a possibility. I guess so. Number two is what's actually happened in Europe where they have negative interest rates is. So you have to lay out that that the banks will lend their money to the central bank of of the government bank overnight. And right now we're at 0.50%. So the government is paying money to the banks to borrow their money, okay? So when you go into negative interest rates, it goes to the opposite. So now you've got the banks paying money to put their money with the government for safety overnight, okay? So what's happened in Europe is now the banks aren't making money from the central bank, so they have to make money. So they've actually raised their mortgage rates to the consumer uh, instead of <laughs> instead of what you would think that they would go lending. down. Pass so it's actually a little bit of a backfire. And uh, what they're talking about is, so instead of lending money to the central bank, now there's stimulus for the banks to put out commercial loans, and more lending to get the economy going, which is one of the side effects that they're trying to accomplish, but it hasn't happened. Yeah. So that that's what a negative interest rate will do. And it's nice that you know you're not we're not the first country that might consider it, right? It's already been done, so you can examine to see what happened in those situations and see how uh, their economies and their lending was impacted. So just something that I always thought was interesting, anyhow. Yeah. If you look at the GDP here. Um, the government, the liberal government's uh, uh, attempt to um, stimulate the economy is still underway. So we really haven't seen a GDP result from that yet. But in Ontario, um, I think Aaron, we were talking about this yesterday, in the GDP in Ontario for the first quarter was one point something, 1.25, I think. So there is growth going on certainly in Ontario. I'm not sure about Vancouver or BC, but you know we're not yet in a position where there's zero or negative growth and we'd have to have that kind of stimulus uh, put into place, so. Exactly. Okay, so maybe let's go into our next segment then, the app of the week. And Aaron had an app that he wanted to talk about today called TurboScan. I'll put the links for that in the show notes again. It's available on iOS and Android. And uh, well, I guess I'll let Aaron talk about it since he's used it more often than I have. Sure. Um, the reason why I brought up uh, TurboScan this week was because of, uh, well, I, I again, I wanted to get into some of the more creative apps. Um, and last week, I didn't even talk about uh, Dropbox, but I wanted to get through sort of the top three or four that I'm using on a daily basis or have used or, you know, when I was selling and stuff. So um, TurboScan is one that, you know, you're constantly using because you want to get a document to somebody and you don't want to have to stop off at the Kinko's or the office or anything like that. So let's say you have a waiver, for example, and you've signed it with your um, your client. 
I've seen a lot of real estate agents take a picture of the waiver and send that in, and it and it looks horrible. I mean, it's a it's a JPEG file. It's not easily uh, easily viewed. Um, sometimes uh, the quality is not there. It doesn't scale properly and everything. So you want it in a PDF format, and you want it as a scan. You don't want a picture. You don't want all the colors and stuff. You want it to look nice, sharp, clean. Um, so TurboScan actually, I found out when I was looking into it yesterday, um, is the top three business app ever on the App Store. Yeah, and I was looking at its rating too. It was yeah. the highest I've ever seen, at least on Android. I think it was like 4.7, 4.8 out of 5, which is yeah. pretty much unheard of. So obviously there's yeah, a lot of productivity there. So I've used it for 10 years. So I figured, you know, what, you know, why not start with the most used apps? And so TurboScan is fantastic. Uh, you just take your phone, you open the app. You, you take it as if you're taking a picture of the, uh, the um, form, let's say the waiver, and then it converts it into a scanned copy uh, instead of a picture. Then you can actually save it in your Dropbox or email it or, you know, do what you want after the fact. But uh, I know it seems pretty simple and, and um, pretty straightforward, you know, just take a picture and it turns into a PDF. But um, I think it's, it probably is the most used app that's out there from a business standpoint. So make sure you're using it. Yeah. Well, in, in a world where we're trying to get further and further away from paper copies of everything and having electronic copies instead and just having an app that can help you organize it and, and make that conversion from the physical to the electronic a lot easier is always a good thing. Yep. Okay. So uh, before we sh- close the show, Bryn, if anyone was looking for a mortgage broker in the greater Toronto area, who should they contact? Uh, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they can certainly call us here. Um, my cell phone number is 416-884-1421 or contact me through Century 21 Heritage Group. And uh, we'd love to help. We know what we're doing for 45 million years in the business at this point. <laughs> Seems like it. Back to the time of the dinosaurs almost. Eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, we'll, put, we'll make sure we put all your contact information in the show notes as well. So if anyone wants to get in touch with Bryn, they definitely can. Uh, so if you like the show, definitely subscribe to our show on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts online. And please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on those sites. It really helps. So you can watch this and past shows at spotlight.century21.ca slash podcast. If you need to reach us, you can email us anytime at podcast at homania.com. That's podcast at H-O-M as in Mary, E-A-N as in Nancy, ia.com. So this podcast was brought to you by the Spotlight Marketing Program, an exclusive marketing package available only to Century 21 agents in Canada. Spotlight provides agents with a comprehensive internet marketing strategy for their listings. We provide high-quality HDR photography, stunning HD video tours, a cutting-edge responsive website, and an extensive advertising system that will help sell your listings faster, sell them for more money, impress your clients, and generate leads. Find out why so many top agents are using the Spotlight by visiting spotlight.century21.ca today. Bryn, thanks for coming on, and everyone, thanks for watching. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week.